0: The delicious drink I'm enjoying right now is Toast, an all-natural, dry, sparkling, non-alcoholic beverage made with white tea, white cranberry, and ginger. Toast sparkling white tea isn't overly sweet, and when you open the bottle, you'll be greeted by a subtle effervescent just like a champagne, and when you drink it, you'll get hints of crisp citrus with a refreshing dry finish. They also have a Toast Rose made from their signature white tea and ginger, but with elderberry. I really like toast and it's the perfect drink to be shared with friends at a brunch or at a dinner party when you're looking for something refreshing to drink that helps enhance the time you're spending with your friends and family. Hi everyone, I'm Marco Salazar and welcome to the For All Drinks podcast, your place for discovering delicious non-alcoholic beer, wine, spirits, mocktails, and more for leading a fun, healthy, and inclusive lifestyle. Today we'll be speaking with Brooks Addington, CEO of Toast Beverages. Thanks so much for joining us today. Toast is a dry, sparkling beverage that provides the celebratory air of champagne without the alcohol. It's made from all nat It's made from an all-natural blend of white tea, white cranberry, and ginger, and lets you enjoy both the health benefits of sparkling water and the thrill of sparkling wine. Toast got its start at some of the country's finest restaurants and hotels and quickly became a favorite of chefs and culinary experts who appreciated its quality, versatility, and style. They started hearing more and more about how people were drinking and loving Toast, so they decided to make it available to a larger audience and are now selling it in markets nationwide. And now with their new rosé, Toast is the perfect option for people wanting to celebrate their moments positively and inclusively when they're not looking to drink alcohol and want something more than sparkling water. So here's the founder of Toast, Brooks Addington. Hey Brooks, welcome to the For All Drinks podcast.
1: Hey Marcus, how are you?
0: Good, good. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today because when I first tasted Toast, I had such a strong and visceral reaction. As soon as I tasted it, it, took me to a place that I was in a park, it was very green and lush, and it was the perfect drink for hanging out with friends and toasting with friends, obviously, hence the name. And it was very clear that it was crisp and refreshing, and it's something that I wanted to have on a hot summer day. So I'm excited to get into the story and all that goes into creating toast. So to kick it off, I'd love for you to share, where'd the idea for toast come from?
1: Great question. And thank you again for, for thinking of us and having us. We'd like to say that the toast is uh, the people celebrate their moments. And so we're happy to hear that you found your moment. Some people might be watching Netflix or be on a boat or at a fancy meal or just cooking at home. Everyone has their moments, but it's a long-winded story. And I'll try to give you the short version. The beverage was originally created by uh, a group of really foodies, a gentleman who had the idea of wanting to bring a beverage to market that was as meaningful and as sophisticated as any alcoholic beverage. The name Toast, and actually the legal name of the company, T O A S T, comes from the idea that a toast is a, a universal sign of hospitality, and this goes back, you know, eight or nine years ago, where this gentleman felt like there really wasn't uh, a beverage out there that was as, was bringing people in and being as inclusive as making someone a great martini or a nice bottle of wine, just serving someone a sparkling water at a party. He wasn't drinking. Um, wasn't elevating the moment on an equal basis. And he wanted to include those people that didn't drink. So uh, a lot of research and a couple of years brought together a team, Alfred Portale, who's a Gotham bar and grill, New York city, James Beard award-winning chef and Michelin star chef was a part of that team. And they went through a lot of iterations to get to where we are. And I think one of the differences with toast is that when it was created, it wasn't so much about trying to be a sparkling tea or having ginger in the beverage. It wasn't so much what we were putting into it, but what we wanted to get out of it, which was we wanted to create a beverage that was, again, as meaningful and sophisticated as any alcoholic beverage. We wanted it to have a nose, to have a mouthfeel, to have all those different experiences you have when you drink an alcoholic beverage. Easier said than done. It took a couple of years to get the recipe correct, but that was the concept behind it. Toast was born and initially tried in early 2016 and then officially launched in 2017.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Can you share a little bit about what that flavor is and how you decided on that specific flavor profile?
1: Yeah, great question. We wanted the tea in there for the tannins. White cranberry has has a high stringency level. There's a tad bit of quinine, not in the rose, but actually in the the original toast. So, those and ginger, of course, is is a great flavor. So, some of those things we've got some floral extracts, citrus extracts in the beverage as well. So, you get these different experiences. There is that beautiful nose, you get the mouthfeel from the tannins and the stringency. We've got the organic agave there for a little bit of sweetness, and then the sparkling for that dry ending. So all those sort of very different levels of experiences that you might get in an alcoholic beverage. So it was trying to combine them in a way that would be delicious and refreshing, and again, allow you to go down that, that path of having that experience.
0: And can you share a little bit, you just recently launched the Rosé. Can you share a little bit about what that flavor profile looked like and why you decided to launch that new product?
1: Yes, we, that also took a couple of years and a lot of reiterations to get right. We, rosé is obviously very popular and delicious. And we felt like it would be a natural add-on for us from our original flavor. It's the flavor profile is based on toast, but is a little lighter, a little less caloric, caloric, a few less calories, a little bit less sugar, and has a slight rosé flavor to it, a slight fruity flavor to it, but not overwhelming. So it's similar to toast, but we've changed a few of the ingredients to have a slightly different mouthfeel, slightly different experience and not being too sweet. And I think that's really critical with both of our beverages and our future beverages is we want to have a, a robust flavor profile without having this heavy sweetness, which is why you'll find, you know, we typically have a third of less sugar than you're going to find in other an alcoholic beverage, a glass of wine, a, a fruit juice or a soda.
0: Yeah, that was one of the things that I noticed when I first tried it is that unlike wines that tend to be, oh, it's just like a sweet wine and there's not a lot of complexity or depth to it. That was one of the things that just, that, that drew me in is that there is some complexity based on the different types of ingredients that you have. How do you typically tend to market it? Do you tend to market it as like a wine, as a wine alternative, as a tea? I, I think you sit in a very, really interesting space within the non-alcoholic beverage uh, category.
1: Yes. We don't really market ourselves as an alt wine alternative. We are marketing ourselves as an alcohol alternative, a non-alcoholic beverage. And there is segmentation happening in the marketplace, very defined, their spirits, their beers, their euphorics, their mocktails. And we are, I would say, becoming one of the leaders in this, and certainly in the sparkling area. What we've done differently is we created a beverage, again, not trying to be an alcoholic beverage. Not trying to taste like a beer, taste like a gin or a whiskey, taste like a margarita or a mojito. We're trying. We tried to create something that had its own flavor profile, but has the experience and the attributes of an alcoholic beverage. So it's a, quite a different approach from other brands out there. There are, there are a lot of wonderful brands out there that have been that have made wonderful products, are very successful. We just took a very different approach to how we wanted to create it. So we don't look at ourselves as a wine. We do look at ourselves as a, as an NA alternative, and we really wanted to be approachable. And we think we've we've achieved that. And you
0: point out something really interesting is that a lot of consumers at the moment, as this non-alcoholic beverage industry is growing and there's so many options, are pretty surprised and starting to learn that they can be complex and they can be interesting and very delicious. How did consumers respond or people respond when you first launched?
1: So that's another great question. We launched in 2017, and I like to talk about what I think was a tipping point in the industry was a Washington Post article in June of 2019, top 10 trends to to watch out for. We were listed in the article, but more importantly, it was about the non-alc trend. And I really feel like from that point on, we saw a huge change in terms of people's attitudes. And I mean that at the consumer level, the retail level, the media level, the the distributor, throughout the whole program, really this change, which keeps getting stronger every month, every quarter, which is exciting. The the initial response was, quite frankly, was, oh, yeah, so it's you it's like a better Martinelli's or a competitor Martinelli's. And we really didn't really see it that way. Again, we don't view ourselves as a celebration, Christmas, New Year's Eve only beverage. We're not marketing to children, although they do like it. We really are this year-round non-alcohol alternative. And so when we first launched, it was, oh, okay, I get it. It's sparkling. We'll buy it at Thanksgiving. We'll get it for Easter for the kids, and that'll be it. And there obviously were early adopters who understood that it was something different. The adoption of the much larger part of the market now and the conversations we have, we don't hear that. We haven't heard that in in two years. Now it's back to, okay, you're non-ALK, you're this alternative. Explain to me where we go. Where do you go in the store and this or what have you? We early on were banging that drum, non-ALK, 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 not necessarily being heard as much as we want it to be. And now we feel like that message is resonating.
0: And you point out some really interesting things that are happening in this non-alcoholic beverage space is that you definitely have non-alcoholic beverages, beer, maybe wine, maybe spirits that are alternatives or similar types of products without the alcohol in whatever way. And then I think there's some others that have popped up. There's a spirit brand. I'm thinking about that. If you would give it to someone, it doesn't even come close or it's not even in the same category as the typical spirits, it's in and of itself, its own kind of category. It's not trying to replace what's currently a similar alcohol product. So I, I think you all are forging some really interesting parts of this industry. What are some of the challenges that you end up hearing or seeing from consumers when they first are looking to try these out and they're skeptical?
1: Again, if I look at what I was hearing two, you know, three years ago to what I'm hearing today, compared to when we first launched, it's quite different. I think in the early days, um, there was always concern about, oh, is it too sweet? Mm-hmm. The, the immediate, because the, the first movers tend to be sweeter than we are. And so that was always a give it a try and see how refreshing it is. And that was really, that was probably the, the one pushback was the concern that it was too sweet. And then there was the sort of mad men, oh, I'm not drinking, if I'm not drinking a martini, why would I drink anything else? Old classic joke. And, but we hear a lot less of that as well. I think just that the acceptance of non-alc is so much more open and bigger than it was when we first launched that it's great to see. So yeah, these days, there's really people seem quite excited about the different beverages that are out there and excited to try them. And, and even people that, that drink now, it's not so much, we're not in an area now where it's I either drink or I don't drink. There are all these people in the middle that are saying, I don't drink today. So we're not marketing to people that don't drink. We're marketing to the occasion where people aren't drinking but they want something that's still as meaningful and sophisticated as an alcoholic beverage. So yep. that may be me. I drink alcohol sometimes, less and less these days for health and other reasons. And I might choose a toast. And we're seeing that more and more. People taking breaks, obviously dry January. So the, communic- the, the, the conversation has really changed in the last couple of years.
0: Yeah. And I think there's all these trends. Some of that you mentioned is that people are deciding to not drink for whatever reasons, And there's a wide spectrum of people that don't drink for I typically think people think the recovery space, but also people for medical reasons, for religious reasons, for athletic reasons and health reasons, and there's that element. I think there's this growing wellness trend that has emerged globally and people wanting to lead more healthy and intentional lives, as well as this sober curious space as well. And I think what you pointed out or you made me think is that when I first tasted toast, there was sweetness to it, but not overly sweet, unlike kind of the sweeter wines or other drinks. And for me, when I taste a non-alcoholic beverage and it's overly sweet, I actually then think, "Oh, this is very sugary. It's not. It's unhealthy." And and that's not the case that I see with toast. It's it's so clean and crisp and refreshing. And I think you all have nailed that perfect balance of sweetness and and complexity.
1: Thank you, thank you. We ha- we're very fortunate to have a really good team of people that came together to create both these beverages, and hopefully we can continue delivering more that are that are on par.
0: You all just came out with this rosé. Are there any other things that you all are looking to try out or carry or experiment with or
1: launch in the next uh, few years? It's an ever-evolving discussion. I don't think you'll see eight different flavors of toast in a bottle anytime soon. I think we're looking at one or two more flavors, maybe a light version that's a little bit less sweet to where even where we are today is in the works. And then potentially down the road coming out with some, I would say some I don't say riskier or some bolder flavors that may you know may end up in cans or other options. Toast is a really wonderful mixer, so there's a lot of things we can, a lot of fun things we can do with with orange and grape and things of that nature. But in terms of the the core, the core, we're looking at three or four, and then we'll reassess the best direction from there.
0: One thing I want to point out and make sure the audience understands is that it's tea based, but it doesn't have a large amount of caffeine. Correct.
1: That's correct. Yes. We, we have less caffeine than a decaffeinated cup of coffee. I think there's three, three megs per serving or something like that. And a decaf has around five. So very low amount of caffeine. There is tea in the beverage, but just, just not so much that you've got this big caffeine rush. And that's a great question. We get that question a lot and yeah, very little caffeine.
0: And just wanted to point that out because when I first had Toast, I saw, oh, it has tea. I'm going to most likely have to drink it during the day. And then when I read further, I'm like, oh, I can totally drink it at night, which was, which I was very excited about. Right. Can you share a little bit about your background and how you ended up coming to into Toast and how your background has influenced its creation and evolution?
1: Yes. So I spent about 18 years in abroad, primarily in Asia, Thailand, and Japan, a very short stint, a year stint in Canada. And just traveling a lot all over the world. I was in finance for for 15 years, being exposed to a lot of great food. In Japan in particular, they have a very robust beverage industry. Very you walk into a 7-Eleven and there may be 20 different kinds of of packaged bottled tea with no, you know, with no no sugar in it. And they've got lemon teas and they've got green teas and oolong teas and jasmine and all sorts of options. And that's just the tea section. So you literally have these beautiful beverages that are healthier, lower calorie um, and massive options. And when I was there and you go back 15, 20 years ago, I'd always say, you go into a a similar store in America and it's, you know, you got about a dozen different choices and they all end up being pretty, pretty sugary. That of course has changed a lot in recent years. On the mass market scale, you didn't have a lot of options. So I was always attracted to the beverage industry because of that, love food, love cooking really. And so I met the Toast team in the fall of 2015. And before they had done their test launch, tried the beverage, looked at the brand and immediately fell in love and felt like this was something that was really exciting and something that I I was passionate about. I've been involved in some other small companies since we moved back to the States. So very familiar with the the entrepreneurial struggle of selling out of your car to start and trying to raise money and all those other, other things and just being heard we had a bunch of conversations. I was brought on as an advisor to help the company out. And then over the course of the last four years have, have taken a taken a larger role, become CEO, and then eventually the largest shareholder in the company with control of the company. And uh, just am a true believer in it. And it's a kind of a, I don't to say a dream come true, but to be able to be a part of something that you're passionate about, me being food and beverage, and then being a part of it at a time that's so exciting in the market, this segment, is pretty, it's pretty. It's a lot of fun. I feel very fortunate.
0: Yeah, I mean, this it's so young and it's such it's evolving so rapidly, and there's so much growth and opportunity that I, I think people who are non-drinkers or non-alcoholic drinkers for whatever reason, it's a very exciting time because there's going to be so many different types to ch- type of beverages to try. How do you structure your team as an entrepreneur and as like a startup and food and beverage startup, beverage startup? How do you structure your team? Where's your production? And, just, and are there, have you seen any kind of major challenges as a non-alcoholic beverage company?
1: Yeah, there are always challenges. Challenge number one, in my opinion, in this industry for everybody, food and beverage, and no matter if you're functional or what have you, is being heard. You know, there's so much stuff on the shelves and I always tell my team, if you call a store and they don't call back, you got to remember that there's, in these stores there are between 35 and 50,000 SKUs. Those are a lot of people sending emails and a lot of people making phone calls, trying to be heard. So I think that's the number one challenge is just being heard, being seen. We've grown dramatically and still, we're still, you know, tiny and there's 330 million people in this country. There's a lot of people that never heard of the beverage and, and the, therein lies the opportunity. Yeah, we have, we have, a, we have a really wonderful team. A lot of it's outsourced and we've got a a co-packing partner. We've got uh, a phenomenal designer in Ohio, a great marketing person on board in LA who's helped with our our messaging and social, phenomenal co-packers, lots of lawyers because you never have enough lawyers, more of those than anybody else. And we're just really right now building out that sales team infrastructure. We've got some very special advisors that have helped out. It's been very grassroots and we've been fortunate to grow the way we have. As lean as we have. And we, I think we're going to see that growth, we hope, catapult in the next year, 18 months. We'll start adding to that team and building out sales and marketing and ensuring that we've got the pro- production. So it's like any business, it's balancing all the different pieces and making sure that they're growing together and that you can handle your salespeople aren't overwhelming your production, and your production isn't falling behind and all that good stuff.
0: Do you think in 10, 15 years ago that all these smaller, kind of startups from a beverage standpoint would be able to to grow or start up. I feel like the distribution, as well as being able to outs- outsource so many things, as well as cobble together a company is much, much easier now. I, I was speaking to another NA beverage brand where vacuum distillation equipment has decreased dramatically. And there's a lot of things that weren't necessarily accessible 10, 15 years ago. Would you say that's the case?
1: 15 years ago, I was in a different industry, so I can't so much comment on exactly how it was. Gotcha. But- That being said, what I will say is that today, nothing's easy. So I don't mean to minimize the amount of work it takes to get something started by any means, but it's not terribly difficult to come up with an idea, get a design, get some glass or some bottles, find a co-packer, whip up a recipe and get it bottled and get it out there on a small scale. The challenge is getting it from that small scale to the next step. And then from the next step to the next step before you have some momentum to really get the ball rolling. So I think it's, there's a you know, huge influx of new beverages that can start up and they can get out there and they can get into 500 stores or maybe a thousand stores or what have you. It's how do they get from that to the next level? How do they make sure that people are drinking the beverage again and again? What's their sell-through like? The turnover, the people really like the product. People are willing to try things, especially in beverage. And retailers, you walk into these stores and they're beautiful Grab and go, and all these different beverages are exciting. I think they're exciting. I drink everything. There are not many that I go back to drink again. And so, what that tells me is that there's a lot of opportunity to start stuff up. And it is—I agree with you 100%. It is comparatively easy than it was in the past, where you might have to raise, you know, a million dollars to get a warehouse and build all the equipment. Now you can put all that together and, and outsource a lot of it with a lot of talented people and get something out there relatively quickly. The next stage is the hard part. How do you grow that?
0: Yeah, and, and I think the other element that's really interesting, that's different than other beverage industries, especially the, well, at least I'll call it beverage industry, is the be- ability to be able to ship the product. And there's a wide spectrum within the industry of those that are focusing on retail and, and on premise, and those, and there's some even that are not even interested in that whatsoever, and they are a pure. I know a few that their whole strategy is pure e-commerce and anything that happens in person is just organic. But I think you you bring up a very interesting point is that because we're so new, can that company get to that next level without the retail? And I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see how that emerges.
1: Well, they have to spend if they want to, if they want to be seen. Yeah. And, and so I think those companies that are pure DTC online plays are getting in front of the customer by buying ads. And, and influencers and micro-influencers and the rest of it. You just have to. We had some great displays in New York City in Whole Foods over the holidays. It was huge for us to get that kind of exposure as it would be for any brand that's been around for a short period of time or a long period of time. So we value both. Obviously, like everyone else, seen a, a huge growth in DTC since one year ago, maybe last week or next week, around March 15th of last year, just absolutely skyrocketed. And And we really viewed it as being not something we were going to focus on because of the expense of shipping glass and liquid, but have changed that dramatically. And we are definitely focused on DTC, but there's a ton of value for us to be in front of the consumer in a store. And there's something about the brand that is attractive enough that people, especially if they're having an event or they're gathering and they're picking stuff off the shelves, it's a great opportunity for people to try the beverage and and get to know it. So, we have both. We've got customers that buy it online and say, oh, I just found it in a store. I'm so happy. And that's great. And we have people that find it in a store and then come and buy cases online. And there's a balance to that. And so for us, that seems to be the, the best for forward right now.
0: Yeah. I, you're reminding me of my first experience with Toast. And it might have been 2018, 19. I'm not sure. But I was going into Chelsea Market in New York City. And there's a cute store, and it might be the Chelsea Market something store, baskets, general store. Yeah. Chelsea yeah. Market baskets, yeah. And great it was store. right front and center as I walked in, and it was the center of the display. And they did that intentionally because for those of you that this is your first experience with Toast, they have great branding, they have great font and style, but the color, of the product is what drew me in. Cause it's this beautiful golden, I'm not quite sure what it is. It's, it's got this honey look. It's just, it looks delicious just to be very frank. And I think that's what drew me in and that's when I first purchased it. And I think that's the thing that's valuable to you all. I, I think you have a product that people, one, will, will discover in person and see, oh, this is really interesting, I wanna try it. And two, the other thing that's fascinating, I'd love to get your thoughts or your insights, is that it's relatively affordable. I I think with some NA wines, they're ten to twenty dollars and a seven fifty milliliter is about about eight to ten bucks, something like that.
1: Yeah, it's exactly it's I think we're all gonna experience food inflation (laughs) that's coming across the board and and our costs are up and we did a, a small increase on our end this year. And that's going to be true for everything, every product, un- unfortunately. But yeah, we're in, that, we're in that sort of eight to 10 range. And we talked about the three pillars from the very beginning of creating, of, of launching the product and meaningful, inclusive, and accessible were, were the three. We want the products to be meaningful. They have to taste great. The proof is in the liquid. If it doesn't taste great, it doesn't matter how great your brand is. We want that customer to come back again and again. And so that's very important to us. We want it to be inclusive. It's the basis of the beverage, bringing people together, making people feel as special during their moments as anyone else with any other with any other type of beverage. And then, lastly, we want it to be accessible, which means it needs to be accessible in a variety of locations, and it needs to be ac- accessible financially. It is a premium product, and when you get into that sort of nine ninety five range for that large bottle, that's a premium price. But we didn't want to take it to a place where. It was fifteen dollars or eighteen dollars. We felt that was was just wasn't gonna be as wide widely accepted as if we got to a place that was a little bit lower than that.
0: Yeah, and I like that you both have a bottle that would be typically seen as like a fancy wine or sparkling um, champagne, but then you also have the four packs that are these individual packs as well that you can take to a party. I think both are really great options to have. And what made you decide to go both the, both those routes?
1: <clears throat> so the the big bottle is our is a brand story and tells a story about what the product is. And then the smaller bottles is demand. You know, the, the demand for a single serve is, is out there. Certainly on premise it is. And there are a lot of customers that just say, I don't want to crack open a full bottle. It is a sparkling beverage. And so we do have a cap, you can reseal the product and it does keep the carbonation quite well. But once it's been opened, you're going you're gonna to have some loss there. And some people just, they don't want to commit to a full bottle over a period of time. So we wanted to meet that demand. And the, the small has done very well for us. We only have the small and toast, but hopefully the summer we'll have, you know, in, in the rosé as well. So we have, it's pretty interesting. we have the big bottles still are our larger seller, but we have a lot of people that, that prefer the small bottles. And.
0: Yeah, and, and I think it, it ties into those three pillars, which I love, which is meaningful, like, in inclusive, but also just accessible. And I think that provides another accessibility point for people in terms of how they wanna consume it in a variety of different moments. Any thoughts or insights into this non alcoholic beverage industry in the next like few years? What's your take and what's your perspective?
1: We've we're we're doing business in, in six countries right now and we'll probably be at ten by By Q2, we've seen some phenomenal international growth and arguably many of these international countries or other countries are farther ahead than the U S. And so I certainly don't see it slowing down. I only see it getting bigger. Certainly for health reasons, people are drinking less. With the rise of cannabis, people are drinking less. There are other outlets. And so we see it booming. I think you were saying earlier, I think prior to our starting the recording that there's a hundred new, hundred beverages out there or something like that's going to double maybe this year. Easily, yeah. Easily. And we see uh, a lot more other brands coming out, you can call them competitors. Again, as I said earlier, we all rise together. So I think we're going to see a further segmentation, beers, wines, spirits, euphorics. Within the NA universe, I think you're going to see retailers and on-premise continuing to build out more robust offerings. And I think you're going to find it to be a more and more commonplace reality. There's... Joking that ten years ago, hey, you want to go out for dinner? Oh, I can't. I'm not drinking this week. Something you'd hear. You don't hear that anymore. You go out for dinner, and people aren't drinking. They're not drinking. That's a huge. It's a huge social change. It's just widely accepted. People don't feel badly about it either way, and it's great. It's healthier for everybody. So, we're. This is just the beginning.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to wrap it up, where's that long-term vision of the company in the next like three, five, and to a certain extent, that we always. The world chain, can, as we know, can change very rapidly. I Sometimes I'm hesitant to say 10 years from now, but where do you see the long-term vision for the company?
1: I honestly believe the sky's the limit. We've got a, Toast is a great four-letter word, very creative brand. It's a uh, great liquid. And we've seen a lot of, of a very high retention rate of customers. We'd like to have a, a core set of products. We'd like to be the go-to. We'd like people to walk into an event and they'd say red, white, or toast. What would you like to have? And we think we have the potential to be that beverage, to be that, that, that stable go-to San Pellegrino option out there for the NA sparkling space. And, and that's the goal. And then I think there's a ton of fun we can have with innovation into cans, mixers, things of that nature down the road once we've established our brand a little bit further. And then I believe the sky's the limit internationally. I did mention we're in these different countries. That's been very driven by those countries. It's not something we're, we're focused on right now. And we're like I said, I think we'll be in 10 by by the end of the spring. And those markets are are moving as quickly as the US, if not quicker. They're moving a lot of volume. People are very excited about it. They're seeing huge demand in their own communities. So this is a global, this is a global game. And we feel like the brand has the potential uh, to play in that size of arena because of its it does have an international sophistication to it. But first steps first, let's just try to get a few more stores and get people in our own neighborhood to to learn more about the product. We're swinging for the fences, I guess, but we're not trying to get over our skis. I can use two analogies in one sentence. We want to, yeah, we, there's a lot for us to do first before we we try to have global domination. We understand that.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brooks, for taking the time to share the story of Toast as well as getting a deeper sense of the product and what it tastes like. I love that the pillars you mentioned, meaningful, inclusive, and accessible is a core part of an, of Toast. And I'm gonna have to try in a cocktail. I hadn't really thought about Toast in, in mixing it up just because I drink it just regularly by itself. I could see it as a great mimosa, as well as an addition to providing some some complexity to some of the cocktails they make.
1: Absolutely, no, we, uh, we haven't pushed the messaging on the mixer front because we don't want to over message obviously, but totally. uh, a lot of on-premise, a lot of bar, you know, bartenders uh, have really come back and said, there's a lot of fun stuff. We have on our website, a bunch of different drinks from different venues that have made, made drinks with toast. And we've got those listed on our site, but yeah, the mimosa fresh orange juice and toast is pretty special. And vodka, bourbon, a Kentucky mule, a toast, (coughs) we call it a Kentucky toast or a toast mule or something like that. I don't know. We have a name for it yet, but bourbon and toast is really good too. There's a lot of fun things we can do with it. And, uh, but again, first things first, we just need to let people know about the beverage first.
0: Thanks so much uh, and have a great rest of the day.
1: Thanks so much, Marcos, really appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for joining us today. And I hope you have an opportunity to try toast. Both their sparkling wine and rosé are delicious and they are perfect for a hot summer's day. If you're subscribed to the show, thanks for being part of the 4L Drinks community. I'd be super grateful if you can take a moment to leave me a rating if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet, be sure to subscribe to this and all the other episodes of the podcast to start discovering more delicious non-alcoholic drinks. Lastly, visit 4 for show notes to this episode and sign up for our newsletter to get the latest non-alcoholic beverage news, special giveaways, discounts, and more. Here's to drinking healthy, inclusively, and different. See you all next week.